bam, we're back. Yeah. Part two. Are Part we? two. Talking about. Uh, okay. I mean, we're we're back only in the sense that we're recording. You can use this or not. Yeah. Um, but I've I have this habit where I just always try to record B roll for who knows what's going to happen during it. Maybe it'll be funny. Right. But if we're talking about gaming, um, are there any exceptions? You said you don't you don't like lore. You just want to get to gameplay. Yeah. Are there any games that are exceptions where you're like pretty into the sort of story behind it? The Metro games because they tricked me into getting into it. Mm-hmm. Have you played them? I've played the first one, but it helps that they're based on a novel series, right? Yeah, it's a Russian novel series. I think they're called Metro 2033. I'm not 100% sure. I think you're correct. But um, to get the good ending in 2033, you have to listen to enough cutscenes and do a couple of the the correct actions Mm -hmm. to get the good ending of the game. And so I beat it, and it was super depressing because that's not the ending that I wanted. So I had to go through and sit (laughs) and talk to every character of the game. And so I I ended up playing the rest of the trilogy. Um, Mm Mm-hmm. Exodus and Last Light, yeah. or vice versa. And when I went into those, I was like, okay, I want to beat this game and feel good about myself. So to do that, I have to talk to everyone. And then I just get tied up. Um, and then 2033, there's like cutscenes you wouldn't see if you don't do the correct way. Uh, you know, when you're. Do you remember being under the mineshaft, like crawling past the Red Army? I think I do, yeah. We're like. I think you're like crawling under like train cars and stuff. and Yeah. yeah. It reminded me of that uh, Call of Duty level where you're crawling into, like, Pripyat or something, or, yeah. or Chernobyl. Yeah. Um, if you're following the right path, the golden path, mm-hmm. um, you get a monologue about how the Red Army's virtues started out what they thought was right, but then developed into fascism. Mm-hmm. If you do it and, and you're either not playing the golden path close enough or you're just kind of playing whatever, um, the guy talking to you is kind of like, all right, get past here and you're good. So you mm-hmm. miss a whole chunk of, of story and exposition, um, kind of kind of randomly. Like, it, yeah, I don't know. I'm I I love games that I can just pick up and play for 15 minutes. Um, so like Hotline Miami or Road Redemption is like kind of the yeah. You said you're you're 21. Yeah, yeah. So when I was a kid, there was a game called Road Rash. It was on the first PlayStation. Yeah, that game's banned. Um, it's banned. In like 15 countries, it's not in America. Not in America. What? Why? Uh, blood and violence in Australia. There's zombies and they have green blood. What? Sorry, I, just, I have a trivia brain. Um, same thing with wait, blood. Wait, Road Rash, the motorcycle game? Oh no! Sorry, <laughs> Road Rash, <laughs> the Sega Genesis game where your job is to drive around and run over people. Carmageddon. Carmageddon. Is it Carmageddon? All right, my it's Carmageddon. Yeah, yeah, no, no, no. I got, I got you. I can't, I can't share this B-roll anymore. <laughs> sure you can. You made a mistake. This is the point. I have to delete um, it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm only right about everything. You can just edit yourself saying Carmageddon, and you can cut me to be like, it was Road, Road Rash. Rash. You're like, you don't know what you're talking about. I am my, smart. I'll use my voice saying Road Rash to flip. It. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Yeah. Make me sound like a total moron. Um, no, it's uh, it's, it's just like a motorcycle racing game, but it's like combat racing. Where like if you're trying to pass somebody, you can like whack them with a crowbar on the way oh, past nice. them or something. Yeah. yeah, it's just kind of it's senseless violence, you know, good fun. Um, but they created a spiritual successor for it uh, called Road Redemption. That is just like it's sort of like a rogue light, um, in the sense that like you know you race, but if you die, like the game's over. Yeah. Um, which like reminds me of like old Super Nintendo days. But if you make it far enough, you get, like, certain amounts of XP that you can, like, you know, use on the next run and that sort of thing. Uh, but it's, like, a full game of that is, like, maybe 20 minutes. Yeah. So, if, you know, throughout this whole, like, uh, uh, lockdown thing, like, my girlfriend needs more sleep than I do. Uh, so 
you know, if she's taking a nap or something, I'm like, great, I can like go ride my motorcycle around and <laughs> smack cops in the head with a fire axe or whatever. Have you played uh, Into the Enter the Gungeon? No, but that's kind of similar, right? Yeah, and, as far as being a roguelite. Yeah, it's a roguelike. It's a uh, randomly generated uh, dungeon. You go floor by floor, and mm-hmm. it's a bullet hell. So it's uh, a. <sighs> Those are so friggin' stressful. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I did just. I'm in the second epilogue of Red Dead Redemption Two right now. Nice. Um, and that's Red Dead. The first Red Dead Redemption is one of my favorite games of all time. And the second one has really stood up as being just an outstanding game to the point that I have anxiety about finishing it. Like, I'm doing everything I can besides the last mission, uh, which is silly, because I know I could keep playing it afterwards. Um, but you can't play it for the first time afterwards. Exactly. Yeah. And, and like, the last mission is my continued investment in the game. I know if I finish the last mission, I'll feel that sense of completion. And even though I can go around and wander around and shoot up, uh, you know, gang hideouts and that sort of thing, it's just I know there's nothing else that needs to be done. Yeah. So I've been, like, kind of putting that off a little bit. Yeah. But... Yeah, but I don't know. I, I love gaming, and I think as I've gotten older, I've appreciated it more as a form of art than yeah. simply as a form of entertainment. I, so, I actually, no, I had live two weeks before I graduated from college because mm-hmm. I was fired from Publix and I wasn't doing anything. And someone was like, <laughs> hey, Xbox has given away, like, a free two weeks. And so hey. um, make a fake email so I can use the discount, and I'm playing with my friends. And... We were and I, you know, we reached out. We found everybody that we were playing with in high school. Our like team of people, you know, the five of us. And sure. Somebody said, and it, it like threw me for a loop for days. Um, they did like really quick math on their times on games like Payday Two, Left 4 Dead Two, and other games we were playing together, and did the math. And they're like, oh, we spent like probably like ten thousand to twelve thousand hours together. Like cumulatively. Yeah, when we were in high school, and it's like, oh God. We, this, is, this is a form of communication beyond just being a thing to do to have fun. If I'm rationalizing it, I think you, you can also argue that it teaches things like, you know, like you said, communication, teamwork, um, dealing with adversity or dealing with challenges. Like, And it's been shown like within uh, kind of the professional world, like gamifying things works. Yes. Um, like we, even if logically we know it's stupid, uh, we fiend after imaginary points. Yeah, um, um, and it, it it works. It works well. It makes things more fun too. Yeah. Well, I worked at a rest. My first job was at a restaurant, and we used to have to set out these frozen pieces of bread that would proof into rolls. And um, so you set sure. them on the counter and put them in a proofer and take them out and bake them. Um, no one ever wanted to do it, and so one day our manager came in and was like, "Whoever does it the fastest tonight gets a free meal," which. At the end of the day, it's nothing in cost, and so we're back there like we got we're covered in like the white <laughs> stuff that comes off of these frozen rolls, and we're throwing them around. But that's because we want those those imaginary points, like you said. Yeah, it, it touches in with the uh, the competitive spirit within you. Yeah, um, yeah. which as like the more the more I get out into the quote unquote like real world and have like competition that comes up, whether it be like when I was in school or when I'm mm-hmm. competing with imaginary people for jobs. The less I care about winning in video games, yeah, yeah, like yeah. I, I could get rolled in like Call of Duty, and I'm like, ah, okay, it's interesting. But did you have fun getting rolled? Yes, unless I'm there playing specific maps. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, that one motherfucker who's prone in the middle of shipment can like go to the special layer of hell, but everyone else, I get shipment. it. That's what I'm talking about. <laughs> I hate. There's nowhere to spawn. <laughs> I'll like 
take down a corner of shipment, I'll be like, all right, like this, my people are going to spawn on me because I'm alive still, and a dude from the other team will spawn behind me, and I'm like, that's it, it's over. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, man. But anyway, um, um, yeah, that kind of ties back into what we were talking about, about like degrees of success or, or conditioning our own victories. It's like, who cares if you win in a game if you had fun doing it? Isn't that the point of playing games? Yes. More uh, than winning imaginary competitions is enjoying that you did it. Yeah, especially replaying uh, Dark Souls 3 is that we'll get to an area. And so it's like three guys who know what we're doing and then like our friend who just got it. And right. Like, okay, before we go in here, like there's this, this, and this. And there's this thing we're not going to tell you about because if we had to do it, you have to die from it too. So like the first time we found a mimic, we were like, just open it, just, just go open that chest. <laughs> yeah. go, go see what's in that chest. Yeah. Oh, it's tea. <laughs> Enjoy. <laughs> um, stuff like that is fun, but um, it's only fun because uh -huh. in, in that environment, there's no problem losing. It's like ah, okay, you died. The phantom like we'll have to respawn and come back to your world, but. What do you lose? Five minutes of time? Come on, it's it's nice. Character building, literally and figuratively. Yeah. Do you uh, do you mess with D and D at all? I I pl I've only played once. I played a couple sessions. Um, I and I, I I don't know if I don't if it's not for me or if I had a bad group. Mm -hmm. and I, it, it could it could be either. You need having a good group is like hitting like just. It's like it's like hearing a perfect harmony where it's just really satisfying, you know? Yeah. Um, it didn't help that I knew the DM, but I didn't know anyone else. And he called me and he was like, hey, we need another guy. I'm not going to DM a campaign with two people. I've called you and another friend of mine. Come play. Mm -hmm. And I was like, yeah, you'll teach me as we go. So, But the um, the idea of teaching a new person how to play a game is cool if you know them. If you don't know them, the only thing you know about me is that I don't know how to play D&D. Sure. Um, so it took probably two sessions for me to understand the idea of doing anything. Um, so, like, they'd be like, okay, you're in a tavern, and there's people... Yeah, it's, it's a complex somewhere. game. Yeah. There's a lot that, like... Yeah. Yeah. Um, I want to do it again. I want to do nah, it again. No, not really. I kind of just want to drink a beer. <laughs> yeah. Um, and... That this this is I know this is the group that we had been sent somewhere. It was like a time based thing. They were like, "You've got three days to stop to like get this like jewel, or shit's gonna get fucked." And I was like, "Awesome, okay." <laughs> so we get to where it is, and this old the, the DM's like, "Okay, you got to talk to this old guy," and he's talking and talking and talking for like five minutes, and we're moving in. It's it's even longer, and I was like, "All right, I want to move. I'm I'm. Can we leave? Can I go past him? I know it's behind where he is." And he was like, dude, I've prepared a monologue. And I was like, D I've got three days to get back or people are going to die. A DM doesn't get to be like, I prepared this. You have to go that way. The, yeah. the crux of being a DM is you spend a whole bunch of time preparing something for like, if your team goes down this canyon, they get ambushed, ambushed here. But then like it leads them to this like false wall where behind it, there's a treasure. You have to be 100% prepared for them to be like, eh, we don't go down the canyon. That doesn't sound what we want to do. Yeah. Um, so I need to play it again. I've got some friends here that play it, but uh, we don't want to do it over Skype. That's what uh, my groups have trouble figuring out how to how to meet too. Yeah, uh, Discord's a good one for it, um, but I, I don't. I personally agree with the idea that they're they're putting forward is to build a to build a bond with your characters. It's better to do that in person than it is oh, to yeah. do it online. Yeah, in person is always better. It's just in person is not exactly an option right now. Yeah, so we're waiting. No, we're just playing Call of Duty. Um, 
Yeah, and that, that, that works perfectly for scratching the, uh, the competitive and cooperative itch. Yeah, um, especially with things like Warzone where you can play with like teams of four. So it's me, and, yeah. it's me and three people versus their four friends as well throughout the game. Um, but let's talk about um, art and stuff. Um, yeah, sure. I, I've, I've seen art. Yeah, I've heard of art. Uh, welcome back. Uh, part two, talking to Alec. Um, this I is guess. Alec from A Fistful of Vinyl. You're listening to the Little Guys podcast with Josh. Ooh, so that's the professional intro. Josh, how are you doing today? I'm doing fine. This is a new day. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm taking control. How are you doing? <laughs> um, I'm doing fine. I have some questions. Uh, so you're the third person I've talked to on the show. Or no, fourth person that um, is in the same world that I'm trying to go in. Uh, it's you, another radio host named Hope, who does Canadian indie bands every Sunday afternoon on CJLO. Um Rusty Blades. What's the show called? Oh, man. Um, you can edit it so it doesn't feel like I put you on the spot, or at the very least you responded correctly. <laughs> no, we'll leave it here. I, I, um, I have a bookmark. Yeah, whatever makes you happy. Yeah, I have a bookmarked, so every Sunday at 1, I just gotta I go on my computer and I listen to her. Um, sorry, Hope. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> if you're listening, I apologize. <laughs> um, and there's Carrie Ann, who was the editor of uh, Pop Ties Magazine, which is no longer a thing, and Rusty blades who um translates western comics into japanese for the japanese market um so i have a couple of questions Ooh, interesting that's oh. a, that would be a really fascinating conversation it was super cool it was very validating for me because that's when i first started uh, interviewing people and i got to walk around saying i interviewed someone from japan uh, maybe i was like i have an international podcast yeah. yeah um all of what i was saying to say i have questions i ask people doing what i do to make sure but i'm thinking about things the right way so sure um, when you when you pester someone to come on your show, like when you email them, how how um, how much praise do you put into your message? Because I like to do like one sentence of like compliment, I like put it in the middle of the email, and I'm like that's a good amount. I interesting question. I don't know how much I think about that. I definitely make sure to be specific, um, because I don't want it to seem like a canned email. Yeah. Uh, so it'll be like. You know, if I'm writing like Jeff Rosenstock or something, it's like, hey, like Bomb the Music Industry is one of my favorite bands and I love the stuff you've been doing solo. And I even listened to your Back to the Island uh, Lost podcast. Um, I would love to host you as a guest. I feel like we have a ton to talk about and I feel like our audience would really love to, uh, you know, hear and see you perform live. Mm-hmm. And that's like, that's kind of how I how I'd frame it. I always keep the first one pretty short and not very logistical. Um, and it always ends with like a, let me know if, you, if you're into it and we can start talking details. Yeah. Um, uh, and I also try to communicate sort of informally so they don't feel like, like having a conversational and friendly tone is super important to us. So I always try to communicate informally as opposed to like overly professionally so they don't feel like it's a ton of pressure or anything like that. I, I don't want to put pressure on somebody to come on the show if they don't want to do it themselves. Yeah. That's that's always been weird for me. Is the reply I get for some reason I forgot that artists are people, so I'll email a band. Um, I'll send out like like the you know like the hello, my name, the show. You know, please come on, sincerely or good evening or whatever, and like my name. Um, and then I'll get back like, yeah, cool. Sounds <laughs> from my iPhone. Yeah, you're rad. Yeah. Um, and it's like, oh yeah, I can I can just say like. Hey, here's what's going on. Do you want to be on? Goodbye. Um, there's a, that way. 
there's a thing so you mentioned like kind of forgetting uh or looking at artists as if they're like only artists uh and that's something i've encountered a lot so much so that we started to format our interviews in a way that tries to disarm uh that sort of um like supposition uh, and the thing that we do and to tie this back to dungeons and dragons um <laughs> is i keep a a, a d20 a 20-sided die um, with me for the interviews and I have a list of questions that basically have nothing at all to do with being an artist mm-hmm. uh, that basically anybody could answer um, so, and I have a list of questions 1 through 20 they roll the uh, d20 and we just talk about whatever question comes up and it's one of my favorite parts of the interviews because I feel like it, it it allows them to open up in a way uh, if we've been covering like a kind of uh, weighty subject up to that point it allows us to kind of come back to a jovial conversation um, and the whole idea is reminding the audience to remember that the artists they're thinking about, the artists that sometimes they'll put up on a pedestal or have these really unrealistic and unfair expectations of because of the connection they have with their art, um, to remind them that those artists are people. They have a favorite thing to put on their pizza. They, you know, uh, they have a mom that they should call more often. Um, you know, they, they get frustrated when people in traffic don't zip or merge. And th- there's all these human characteristics that don't really become obvious through listening to their music. Yeah. Uh, and so we roll the dice to try to try to get people to talk about, like, everybody's had an awkward date, you know? Let's hear the story of, of, of you know, yours, Julian. <laughs> right. And then uh, the last one is, do you have, like, one dream guest? If you pick one person in the, in the music scene, you got to be like, that guy's coming on the show. That's, I mean, you've touched on an interesting subject here. So I like to keep a, uh, a short list of like dream artists. Right. Uh, Frank Turner was on that list. Um, Jeff got Rosenstock him. was on that list. Um, yeah, we've been really fortunate that like we've captured uh, uh, footage of the people who I feel like were most influential to me um and the kind of like diy ethos that we try to uphold so like working with theo from defiance ohio he was on the list sean bonnet from ajj i would love to re-record them as a full band but uh having sean up at the station was really important to us um and uh and pat the bunny obviously was huge yeah the ones who are on the list that i haven't yet done um there's a folk artist who's kind of popular but i feel like a lot of people still don't know him his name's josh ritter yeah. The ring bell? Yes. Yeah. J- Josh Ritter is, I think he might be the best living lyricist. I recognize it's a very divisive opinion, but <laughs> nobody's lyrics can elicit like, the same, almost like physically resonant response uh, in my body as, as his lyrics can. And he just has like the perfect ear for storytelling and rhyme scheme uh, and, and imagery in his music. Um, and I have like a thousand questions I'd want to ask him and I'd have so many requests for songs I'd want him to play um, but he lives in Idaho and he tours uh, once or twice a year and he's never in LA for more than like 16 hours so we haven't been able yeah. to get him yet but he's on my short list uh, the famously reclusive Toke from Catch-22 and Streetlight Manifesto he would be one that I would love to record that one may never happen. He's done like one interview in the last 10 years. 
um, and just does, doesn't like making public appearances outside of performances, uh, and has even talked about dialing back on uh, live performances. <laughs> so that one may stay a dream. Right. Yeah. But aside from that, like those are those are my big ones, the ones that immediately come to mind. But Neutral Milk Hotel would be another one that is like, yeah, keep dreaming, Alec. Yeah, see, I was going to say, I think they're, they disappeared off the internet altogether almost. They vanish and reappear from time to time. On yeah. a long enough timeline, they'll, they'll be around, but will we ever be in the same place at the same time or prepared to record the same thing? No, yeah. but <laughs> a fella can hope. Right, yeah. Um, I think it's good to have that list. Um, it's another way to make yourself realize you're still doing what you like to do when you get a guest on your list and you're like, oh, yeah, this is why this is why we're doing this. You know? Yeah, it's a, it's a milestone. It's, oh, my gosh, th- this person that I, that I think so highly of, uh, whose art I think so highly of, felt that what we're doing is valid enough to be a part of it yeah uh so when you when you interview these uh, guests you've had on your list are you more nervous than you would be for a traditional interview oh man i'd like to say and this is aspirational <laughs> I, okay i can say on average i'm less nervous now than i was before i feel more confident in my interview abilities and my interview style um and I also have a deeper appreciation for the person that I'm sitting across from is like just a dude, uh, gender neutral, of course. Yeah. But in, in my book, everybody's just a dude, just a person. Yeah. And that's how they like being talked to. So I can give a better interview if I can disarm the part of my brain that looks at them and says, you are one of the most amazing, amazing artists I've ever heard. Um, and try to reorient that to be you are a person who makes some of the best art that I've ever heard but you're a person first yeah um, that being said I still do get nervous um, Jeff Rosenstock I was nervous for like five minutes Frank Turner was I, I should have been more nervous but he was just such like a, a, a charming and disarming person that we just kind of riffed like old friends mm-hmm. um, although I will say there was a moment partway through that interview where his publicist came to get him because she had allotted 20 minutes um, and was like, we can't do any more than that. You have to get it all done in 20 minutes. And uh, she came by to give us like a three minute warning. And I go, oh, your, your, your publicist is at the door because there's a little window in the green room that we were looking out of. And he turns and goes, go away, we're having fun. <laughs> and it was, it was, not only was it like a super validating moment, but it was like, oh my gosh, like you were officially spending time with us because you decided to. Uh, yeah. And I think my, the first words out of my mouth were just like, I love you. <laughs> yeah. uh, Laura Jane Grace got me kind of nervous because I've been listening to Against Me for so long. Um, and I even I, I even forgot my manners a little bit during that one where um, I deadnamed her by accident because yeah. I was keeping all of these different questions in my mind at the same time and was just like... I, I feel like you can see me shaking on camera from how nervous I am, but I'm doing my best to like mm-hmm. keep it keep it subdued. That I had what I felt was like a really profound question, and I just forgot to frame it without using uh, her dead name. Uh, and it was interesting. I ultimately feel like it was a good experience for me. I don't. I, I hesitate saying that because I don't want to uh, make it seem like I'm appreciative for something that came at her expense. She dealt with it with incredible poise. Uh, and 
called me out on it immediately right. um, and let it sit for like an uncomfortable moment uh, as I like flustered literally asked was like oh okay I need a second um, and then kind of got you know control of myself again and continued the interview and she was perfectly forgiving and it like it gave me a hug afterwards and the staff and has been communicative since so I feel like uh, whatever harm was done was forgiven but it was still something that I felt terribly about because I want to do a better job than that yeah um, and that's something that I, I would attribute to nerves because like there's that part of my brain that just that same part of my brain that's always kicking my own ass and, and calling out my faults was just immediately on me like Alec you know better than that Alec you consider yourself an ally how could you make a mistake like that uh, like Alec you've lost respect of one of your heroes um, yeah that's where like it really helped that I think towards the end she realized how uh, like genuinely contrite I was uh, and kind of lightened up but uh, or at least was more uh, you know kind of conscientious or, or, or comforting in her forgiveness of me um, but I also thought about it like as much as possible I tried to put myself in the mindset of you know what if I were her what if yeah. that had been done to me um where, you know, my name's Alec, but I get called to Alex all the time. You know, I'll introduce myself to somebody, hey, I'm Alec, and they go, Alex? And I was like, yeah, yeah, I spelled it right. Yeah. Um, but that being said, like, a lot of the time, if somebody gets my name wrong, I'll usually just sort of, you know, say something sort of, you know, passively clever, like, oh, yeah, close enough, or, or yeah, sure, whatever. Yeah. Um, and I think with my name, it's not that important to me. Uh, but if it were something that like, if it were something like my gender expression or or a part of my identity that had been, um, uh, a of per personal contention in the past, yeah, I feel like I'd have the same reflex, but then also be doing my best to overcome it. Where like, if somebody, if I had, uh, if I had renamed myself and somebody called me by my dead name, I feel like my reflex would be like, ah, oh, that's okay, let's move on. But I also understand how that could be like not just potentially detrimental to uh, people understanding and appreciating the importance of of uh, um, identity, but also disrespectful to me in the transition that I'd made. Yeah. So I think I would want to put extra pressure on myself to, even if it's uncomfortable, be like, "Hey, please don't call me that," or "I don't appreciate being called like that," which is exactly what Laura did to me. Yeah. Um, so that's, that's, I mean, that's a long answer to, do I get nervous interviewing people? Uh, yes, and when I get nervous, uh, I forget things that are very important. Sometimes it's as innocuous as a question I wanted to ask, and other times it's uh, parts of, of gender identity etiquette that I need to pay more attention to. Yeah. But that was a major teaching moment for me. And to the, to the topic of us you know, leaving our faults in our interviews, I edited the interview so that the soundbite of the name itself was removed, but everything else was retained. Yeah. And um, it's, again, not to say that, um, to the extent of, you know, bad things to the extent of others is good for other development. That's not what I'm saying, but it is good that you've had moments like that. So yeah. that you know the importance of these things, the importance of um, etiquette. Yeah, in an interview. I, yeah, I, w I was incredibly embarrassed and uh, and regretful that I'd made a mistake like that. But having made that mistake, the very least I can do is like 
make sure I fucking learn it well. Yeah. Um, there's nothing and, wrong. And hopefully teach other people from who are watching it too. You're like, wow, that guy put his foot in his mouth. I'm not going to do that. That guy put his foot in his mouth, but then that guy didn't fluster around for the next 15 minutes, making it a bigger deal than it was. It's the other side true. of that too. Yeah, true. Yeah. And, and thank you for that. This is also an example of what we talked about earlier where I'm just so good at kicking my own ass where it's like I'm not even, <laughs> I'm not even sure I've completely forgiven myself for that incident, though I know Laura has. Um, but by the end of the interview, um, and this is where, kind of where the dice roll came into play as well, uh, you know, we were like laughing and joking around and stuff and having like a, you know, perfectly, uh, you know, cordial and, and fun conversation by the end of it. And then the dice roll came around um, and her question was, what's a joke that always makes you laugh? And she told me too, but the one that sticks with me is, um, what sport do you play with a wombat? I don't know. Wom. <laughs> Isn't that like freaking awful but so funny? That's so great. <laughs> yeah. And then I, I, I came back with, you know, if I had a nickel for every time I didn't understand what was going on, I'd be like, where do I keep getting all these nickels? <laughs> yeah. Um, nice. Let's see. How, uh, when did you come up with the 20 sided die thing? Was that early on like you I don't know you talked to um, I don't know his name Shaggy from the Scooby-Doo movies and you were like I need I need a oh, D20 here Matthew, Matthew Lillard. Lillard yeah, yeah. He, he was one of my earliest interviews damn good research um, you told it to a guy last year so I found the the Los Angeles article oh word this year. <laughs> um yeah, so yeah, Matthew Lillard came on the show. Uh, I mean, for me, it's I know him from SLC Punk. Yeah. And he was directing a movie at the time called Fat Kid Rules the World, which kind of ties into, you know, using for uh, uh, youth that feel misfit, they, uh, you know, the relationship that they end up having with punk rock being so important. And uh, yeah. The, the part of the interview I remember most, uh, I mean, and he was like a, a perfectly fine guest and was there to promote his his Kickstarter. But the thing that surprised me that helped me kind of understand, one, the need to be able to pivot quickly in an interview, and two, to not come in with uh, too many preconceptions, is for somebody that I feel like is the personification of, like, in so many ways, like, punk in modern cinema, uh, Matthew Willard doesn't have strong feelings about punk. Yeah. And that was, it's, it's almost bizarre to me because I believed the character so much. And then I was like, oh, wait, that's what an actor does. Far <laughs> out. Um, but yeah, no, it's a, that's an early poll. But we didn't, we didn't start doing the D20 until probably a couple years ago. It might have been Chesky or Matt Pless or, or one of those was the first interview where we did it. Um, but it was very much a reaction to uh, seeing YouTube comments on like the Pat the Bunny videos where. Like, I'm still friends with Pat, and we talk about things that most of the time aren't music-related at all. Um, yeah. In fact, I kind of react to that as a sensitive subject. Um, but I have the personal reminder that he's just a dude doing his thing. But the YouTube comments that I see are, you know, Pat, you're God tier. Pat, come back. Pat, the scene's nothing without you. And all this stuff that, to me, feels like an unfair amount of pressure to put on a single person. Yeah. And it comes from that idea idea of perhaps forgetting that it's a person. You know, you're yeah. looking at Pat the Bunny and not uh, Patrick Schneewees, you know. Yeah, they did, they did that. Well, that happened to you on your AMA. People are like, hey, what's, where's Pat the Bunny at? Like, you know where yeah. he is. Yeah, yeah. and it's, it's like, 
it's an it's an uncomfortable question because it's like like i do but that's not relevant yeah know? yeah and we've uh, we i've talked about pat on the show before on the episode with marco from mustard service we talked about you know just just stepping away stuff like that that doesn't mean or wondering where he is but that doesn't mean you get to pester the people in his life no, about he, that he doesn't know anybody anything, anything. no in, in the same way that like if i wanted to for whatever reason i could stop doing a fistful of vinyl tomorrow and put it down and walk away uh and while people are entitled to ask like what happened they're not entitled to any part of my life after that yeah no one gets to demand where jeff mangum is right now he's living his own life he did the yeah, same I'm, thing. I'm sure he's somewhere with a massive beard, and I hope he's happy. Yeah, um, and that's how it is. Uh, and that's that's uh, it's a weird dichotomy where people, the the fan base of some artists, and not all of the fans, tend to think that they deserve something from the artist. Yeah, there's that entitlement. Yeah, and it's interesting, um, especially with artists like uh, Pat, where. Like they were making music as a teenager, there's no way that those songs were written to appease, mil- you know, thousands and millions of people. Um, True. So I, I hate seeing when people are like, like the least they could do is blah 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 blah. Like no, the least they could do is fucking nothing. They yeah, they don't they're work already for you. doing. They're already doing more than the least they could do. Yeah. Um, and another thing with Pat specifically is people idolize uh, early Pat. You know, yeah, like the Johnny Hobo and the Wingnut Dishwashers, um, and that's like even at the time he came on our show, that's not who he was anymore. You know, yeah. he talks in our interview about like either questioning or straight up disagreeing with a lot of the philosophies that he had when he was when he was younger, and in the same way that like the idealism of an artist is, I think, damaging to the person. I think people in the same unfair context. Uh, have a tendency to like time lock an artist you know yeah the, you, the pat the bunny that made the early stuff we'll call it collectively existed and as a human being doesn't exist anymore and as a musician will always exist whenever you put on those records and stuff yeah. but neither of those are connected to who uh pat is now you can I, do the I same thing with uh henry rollins when he was running with the black when he was running the black flag you know, yeah. he's, he's talking about killing, you know, millions of people to get a political idea across, you know, yeah. um, especially in the song My War, which is my favorite Black Flag song. You know, it's it's radical change through violence and action. Mm-hmm. Um, Henry Rollins I'm, now. I'm a big Fix Me fan. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> uh, he's a uh, he's a public speaker and a stand up comedian. Uh, yeah. He's an actor and writer. They're not the same person. Um, I don't know this for a fact, but I would like to say that Henry Rollins now probably wouldn't get along with the one that started in the punk scene in the 80s. I would be surprised if they were friendly with each other. Yeah, I, I don't think I would like it if, if um, you know, someone 20 years later, 30 years later was like, yeah, I'm, you know, I totally agree with what I was doing at 20. Yeah. Um, in that same I, token, I'm positive I would find 16-year-old Alec just absolutely insufferable. Yeah, I'd probably, yeah, I'd probably fight young me. I, um, <laughs> but I think you need that. I don't think you should beat yourself up for how you were in the past. And you talked about this on your show a couple of times but i think you do need to i think it's a good thing to look back and say i don't like what i was doing then because that shows that you're growing exactly yeah you know frank turner called it out during one of his live shows where he said the two most important phrases that a person can use in in the spirit of public discourse is um i was wrong and i've changed my mind uh 
because those are things that for whatever human instinct we're so resistant to saying but that's the science of it it's like you have to be willing to accept uh new information and either uh, um, coalesce it into what you already know or dispose of what you thought you knew and replace it with what's more factual or what's more provable. Uh, and despite the fact that 16-year-old Alec was pretty damn certain he knew everything, 30-year-old <laughs> Alec knows he didn't know anything. Yeah. Or at least knew very little. Yeah, it's it's weird. And I have met people who I meet them and then years pass and I meet them again and I'm like, oh, you're the same. Mm-hmm. And and that there's a little bit of, there's a little bit of sad to it. Um because you're like I'm different. Why are you not? But you know that's that's people. It's, everyone's everyone's on their own path, and I think there's a certain sort of uh, uh, tendency for people to revert to what they used to be in situations past when similar situations reemerge. Like I think if you, I think it would be fascinating to study high school reunions uh, and compare how people behave outside of those walls and inside those walls yeah because I, I think the similar sort of social circles and and social tendencies reemerge when they've been dormant for however long you've been out of high school um but i think that stuff is very deeply ingrained and i think that feeling of you know i'm not enough or i don't fit in or whatever you know stuff that i felt when i was in high school um you know would basically be dug up in a way that would be kind of kind of difficult to reconcile with who I am now. Yeah. Um, I was a very angry high schooler. Um, so yeah, I, if that's going to come back up, I'm not going to my reunion, first of all. But um, I try to be calmer now. So when I think about, you know, the dude arguing in classrooms because he's going to like prove the teacher who's just trying to do their job wrong on mm-hmm. some stupid topic, it's like, come on, dude. Neither of you want to be there, really. Just go I, home. I, I will say I uh, I ran into one of the teachers who I would and he and I respected each other, but we would argue uh, in class. Um, yeah. I ran into him a couple years ago at the beach because I, I I live in El Segundo now. I grew up in Manhattan Beach, which funny you mentioned back, uh, Black Flag because they're from Hermosa Beach, just one other yeah. city over. Um, but I ran into one of my high school English teachers at the beach, and he's just there with his kids. And I remember when one of them was born, and now she's like a teenager. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> But, uh, you know, we talked about it. I was like, man, I was probably like such a pain in the ass to have in class where I just subjected to everything. He goes, no, man, you were like the only person that made class interesting. Like, like, like he, he just he framed it in a really flattering way where he, it showed that he actually appreciated uh, the sort of heated discussion element mm. as well, where I think as a teacher, you get the sort of the benefit of knowing like, OK, I'm arguing with a teenager. Um, yeah. But. I don't know. It's and I'm thinking about if I were in that situation, uh, and I were a teacher, like I would absolutely want an over response as opposed to an under response when I'm trying to like push forth or or uh, present uh, unconventional ideas or controversial ideas. I would want that reaction because it would mean I'm reaching somebody. And in retrospect, I realized that like yeah, I was arguing because I really objected to what he was saying or I had strong feelings about what he was saying. That's Man, did I do it right? Shit. <laughs> did I learn in high school? Damn it. I swore I wouldn't. <laughs> they got me. Um, yeah, that was always the... I think that happened to me when I... My, like, second week in college, I, like, sat down and I, like, sat down in my class and I was like, all right, let's get it done. Like, I'm here to learn. And I was like, what happened to me? Four years ago, I wanted to die being in this setting. Um, yeah. Growth is weird that way. Yeah, but, I don't know. It's proof of maturing. 
Yeah, and you, you need that in a way. As long as you don't look back on your life and you're like, God, I was too nice. Then maybe maybe revert. Maybe be nice. But Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I can't believe I helped those people. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't get anything for all that good I did. <laughs> but I mean, you're also like speaking to an Eagle Scout. So like, I, I still have that like ingrained in my in my psyche of just like if there's an opportunity to do good do good oh yeah um I, I, uh, a friend of mine's an eagle scout and um i drive for his project we built benches near this community mm-hmm. garden so whenever i drive past it i'm always like yeah i did that I'm not a boy scout never was but i'm always like ah partial credit i'll take it but it's cool you look at something that you know wouldn't be there if you and your friends hadn't built it yeah um we- we built a for my Eagle Scout project. We built a dog park in Redondo Beach, uh, nice. or built a dog park equipment in uh, in Redondo Beach, uh, like you know, like agility A frames and, and that sort of thing. Um, and I designed it in Microsoft Paint. <laughs> I had no idea how to draft or anything like that, so I just like do like a gray square and be like, oh, I don't know, that's four feet long. <laughs> and then you know, getting there and realizing like, all right, we're gonna have to do some adjustments on the fly. A lot of this stuff is like like three times the size of what any dog can jump through <laughs> <laughs> oh my god that happened to me recently um my parents have started like to try to grow their own garden and they bought chickens and so oh, my cool. dad was like hey i need you to help me build a chicken coop i have no idea what i'm doing i'm a liberal arts major so i was like sure i'll figure it out with you so we're out there and of course it's standing but it's standing like cockeyed like this <laughs> and um pun intended yeah we're, we're <laughs> um we had cut out a base when we put it down and he's looking at it and my dad takes the tape measure and he measures it out and he's like oh we're two feet too short oh <laughs> I guess we're gonna figure this out I yeah, love stuff whoops. like that yeah I think that translates so well to you know what we do now where every part of these projects are we figure it out as best we can and go with it uh, and we learn from it every time and I'm sure you've ended up in situations where it's just like well this is imperfect but it's what we got oh um, yeah or we have to make do with what we have you know I've had to take down episodes to re-edit them because I used to I used to spot edit. I would listen to like five minute segments, and if they were fine, were good. Oh yeah, that's um, that's one of those that's a discipline of editing. It's like you have to QC the whole thing. Yeah. Which I'm sorry for this being a two hour episode. I hope you enjoy it as you're listening again, future <laughs> future Josh. Um, I do enjoy listening to it. I um I try to replicate the the podcast experience. So I'll put it on and I'll clean the kitchen or I'll play a mm-hmm. game. Um, and so interesting what do you think that does I, well for me it helps me make sure that I'm making an entertaining show because if at any point my brain is inactive and I stop listening to the show I need to I mark that I go back I'm like oh my god I haven't been listening for like 10 minutes mm. I have to look at what I was talking about to cue the guest to talk about that made me bored and then I'm like okay so in the future I need to talk less about not that subject but I need to approach it in a different way or I need to make sure I'm talking actively because there have been times where I'll take like I'll kind of like take a back seat during mm-hmm. the interview um, to like listen to like a story, and then I never come fully back in a conversation. Well, that's um, just the nature of conversations, isn't it? Yes, but um, I'm not, I'm not having conversations. I'm also making a podcast, so I have to do two things. Um, it's, I recognize there being a delicate balance between the two. Yeah, uh, I cared about it more when I first started. Now I think because i have the benefit of not a lot of people paying attention to me that i can just kind of like work on having fun and do the the cool show stuff afterwards like uh at the time of recording i don't have an intro theme or anything it just starts i'm just talking Mm -hmm. but um 
I'm working on one with a friend of mine who's a better musician than I am, so that would be fun to put in. But all the the fun show stuff comes afterwards. Making good content in the middle is what's uh, important now. Yeah. Uh-oh. Oh, hey, uh, can I have have one quick second here? Yeah, you're good. All right, one sec. Yeah. Uh, but as far as the podcast goes, I got about uh, 15 minutes before I got got to start getting ready to take off. Uh, I've got to go as well. Um, I've just got two questions. To ask everybody as sure. we close out. Um, yeah, yeah. So. One, if you could go back in time and talk to yourself when you first started doing what you're doing now, what advice would you give yourself? Oof. What advice would I give to past Alec? Um, don't be resistant to the idea that what you're doing is valid. Um, kind of like the what we've been talking about up to this point where it, it takes a lot. It's, it's taken a lot of experience for me to understand that like, you know what, what a fistful of vinyl creates and the type of content that we put out and the, the the sort of tone that we can strike with our guests is something that resonates with people um because i always hyper analyze it uh that i forget that when somebody's viewing it for the first time they're not aware of all these sort of uh flaws or perceived shortcomings that i have of it um so i think yeah the advice would be like recognize that what you're doing is valid especially to other people um parentheses get out of your damn head um <laughs> and uh yeah i think i think that and um yeah just recognize the ability to grow you know there's a lot of points in a fiscal violence history where we've been resistant to uh kind of upgrading to the next thing you know taking ourselves more seriously or, or asking other people to take us more seriously um and I feel like, in retrospect, I recognize how potentially defeatist that behavior was and how successful it was when we finally got over the idea of defeating ourselves. Right. Um, and then the second question is, uh, the majority of my audience is made up of people who are doing their own projects, whether it be independent art or shows like this. What advice would you give to someone who's just starting out on their mm-hmm. own field? I'll, so I get, I receive about, depending on the week, like 10 to 20 people sending me their music, um, you know, asking me to like, listen to it, consider it for airplay, consider it for a session. Sometimes they'll ask me to review it. Uh, and I do everything I can to listen to everything that somebody sends me. Cause if they took the time to make it, I can make the time to listen to it. Um, but the question that's much harder to answer is like, what am I looking for when I listen to it? What am I looking for when I'm considering it? And it's really hard to uh, uh, articulate what it is because it's 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 a feeling more than anything. Um, but the one of the more consistent elements I've recognized is, you know, take inspiration from others. Certainly, um, you know, recognize like nothing's made in a vacuum you know you have you have influence from those that came before you that i'm sure uh is recognizable in what you're creating but then like make goddamn certain you're setting yourself apart uh and that's challenging and it's scary and at times like you know if you're if you struggle with something like uh confidence or or um like self-esteem it can be extra frightening to try to modify something that you've seen be successful uh, by putting your own spin on it. But that's like, you know, you missed 100% of the shots you don't take. 
Wayne Gretzky, Michael, Michael Scott. Scott. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because yeah, um, because that's you know, if I if I like something but I can't quite figure out why it just doesn't work, a lot of times it's because it's I can hear it's just it, it's trying too hard to sound like something else. And yeah. if they put their own spin on it in a way that was more recognizable to me, and this is all subjective, of course, uh, it's I know I personally would be more open to it. Yeah, I don't think you're wrong though. I'll co-sign that. Where it's like, um, I appreciate that. From uh, have you seen the uh, John Mulaney sack lunch bunch Netflix uh, special? Is that the newest one? Yeah, I've seen I've seen a whole bunch of his, uh, but I don't think I've seen that one yet. Uh, it's super weird. I, I think you would enjoy it, but there's a part of it where um, oh, that's where he's with the kids, right? Yeah, yeah. Oh no, I didn't I didn't watch that, but I agree that does look super weird. Oh, it's a trip. I love it. Um, yeah. the, there's a character in it. Um, I can't remember his name, but he says uh, there is only one you in the universe you know do what you would like to do do what you're going to do yeah. uh, if you make the kind of if you if you go out to like i write text adventure games for fun if you want to write text adventure games but you want to write it like mine don't do that because i'm doing that you need to write the text adventure games that you're going to write yeah and vice but by versa. all means be inspired by you Oh yeah, please, yeah, please call me, give me praise, uh, and take from me. <laughs> yeah, everybody's standing on the shoulders of giants. That's yeah. that's that's universal. You know, <laughs> um, a lot of the artists that I listen to wouldn't have the influence, or wouldn't be what they are today if it weren't for artists like Woody Guthrie and Phil Oaks. Yeah. Um, and you know, to a certain extent, like those artists wouldn't be anything if or it wouldn't be as inspired as they are if it weren't for like you know classical musicians that came before them and there's this whole taxonomy that we can't even quite or like genealogy that we can't trace back to its source because it's so pervasive but we know for every single artist it exists yeah um, um it's it's easy to do with uh ska because it's still relatively new but you yeah know. And, well and ska's been uh almost impressively uh consistent yeah throughout, throughout the years we're like you know you can you can track its genealogy very very directly and it's had like these distinct waves whereas other forms of music music kind of being born out of fusion uh at a certain point almost become like uh genealogically unrecognizable if you're not like a historian on that subject yeah especially because like folk ska would just be ska music like it's it's, it's yeah. a hard genre but yeah um uh, and I, I have something to add to if, if you'll if you'll let me. No, um, I'm sorry. Okay, well, that was a good talk. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, th and th this this is something that I, I I try to like tell myself to encourage myself. But there's a there's a phrase that I use that's uh, just get out there and suck. And what I mean by that is like everybody like Jimi Hendrix started off shitty at guitar. Probably. I mean, there's always people who are problems and are frustrating that you're like, I've been doing this for a year and you just picked it up and you're better than I am. But almost everybody who's good at something sucked at that thing for a long, long time. Uh, so, like, the more energetically you can get out there and create the things that you feel like suck or maybe in the future feel like suck, the faster you get to develop. And as soon as you accept that that's a part of the process, that you're going to make a shitty product at first... I'm embarrassed by some of the stuff that we put out initially. The art, the artists that we had on, for the most part, were phenomenal. But our ability to craft a cohesive section, uh, session that is enjoyable to watch and listen to was barely there because we didn't know what we were doing yet. Um, but we would not be where we are now if we hadn't been through those sort of uh, difficult trials initially. 
Yeah, I agree. Um, I think that's a good place to stop. We're at 116 minutes of uh, total recording. Um, um, so this is, this is the end of episode two? We'll congregate, so this is this is an, at, at an hour as well. So, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Um, um, so hashtag a fistful of little guys episode three <laughs> if you want to hear us again. Uh, <laughs> oh, man, that's going to be the first hashtag that gets trending for my show is a fistful of little guys. Um, <laughs> Where can we follow you on the internet? Where can we find you? Sure. Uh, fistfulofvinyl.com is the prettiest way to follow us. Um, we're all over youtube.com slash a fistful of vinyl, at a fistful of vinyl on Instagram, and uh, facebook.com slash a fistful of vinyl, Twitter, at a fistful of vinyl. Um, a fistful of vinyl is spelled, fistful is one L. Uh, it's not fistful. It's not fistfuls. If you get confused, look up a fistful of dollars and then just change the last word. <laughs> <laughs> and uh yeah um send me your music send me send me what you're creating and and i'd i'd be elated to listen to it um and the best thing that people can do for us uh as i mentioned earlier if you've listened to the entire thing up to this point then we have no marketing budget uh and the thing that helps us and the thing that helps the artists that we work with the most is people who care enough about it to to want to share um, and you know, beat those algorithms that are mad at us for not paying for Facebook ads. Yeah, and um, you've, you've interviewed enough people by now that if you're if you're big in the DIY scene, if you're big into the DIY scene, and you like bands like I don't know, like Apes of State, or oh, I love Apes um, of the State. Yeah, you, you can find that interview over there. So don't just share the most recent one. Share the one that you think is the most entertaining and intriguing. Yeah, I, I consider it the highest form of flattery if somebody does like a deep dive or something like, hey, here's right. something you said in an interview like three years ago with an obscure artist. And I'll look at that video and it'll have like 900 views. It's like, yeah. damn, you were like, you were a non-negligible percentage of that, weren't you? Good for you. Thank you. Thank that, you. That is interesting on your, on your channels to see a video that has like, oh, this one got like 25,000 in a day and this video will not pass 800. It shows how... Um, wide of a net you're willing to, sh to break to fish with which is yeah. very admiring well those numbers don't necessarily correlate with the uh um influence of that artist either yeah um in fact in a lot of ways it's harder to promote bigger artists uh because there's more noise yeah. you know artists like hobo johnson has hundreds of videos out there that warner brothers is paying to promote and there's no way in hell we can effectively compete with those but we're making our thing. We're putting it out there. And if somebody's looking for Hobo Johnson and they find our video and then find Apes of the State, that's amazing. And yeah. that, that makes me feel very fulfilled. Nice. Um, so thanks for coming on. Thanks for spending. Um, well, thanks for coming on again, I should say. We did <laughs> My pleasure. I, yeah, we messed up. The, I messed up the first one. So I, I'm glad you made time again to come back. Um, yeah, you're a dick breaking down your car like that. I can't believe you friggin' sabotaged your own car to skip our first interview. <laughs> That's what I was telling people. I call. I uh, I'll bring I'll Barbara back up again. I texted her. I was like, "It's over. My show's over. It's done. I'm never doing it again." And she's like, "Why? Because you missed one call." <laughs> and I was like, "Yes, it's done." Yeah. Well, I'm, uh, I'm happy we were able to uh, to get back on the schedule. And yeah, this has been super fun. Thanks for hosting time. me. And uh, and I really appreciate all the questions you asked, man. That was. Uh, I, I hope I, I hope I get good answers. I hope that uh, that I said some stuff worth thinking about. Hopefully, and uh, yeah. Uh, so follow the show wherever you're listening. Uh, give it a like or a rate or whatever you can do. I like the attention. Uh, follow the show on Twitter at the Little Guys Three for updates and things like that. And follow me on Twitter and Instagram at jwfreeman_ underscore. Cool. Nice. 
right. Bye, everybody. Thanks for listening. Bye. Hey, one quick thing. Um, the name of Hope's show on CJLO is Nice, Nice, Very Nice. Uh, you should definitely give her a follow on Twitter. And uh, check out the show whenever they're airing uh, on Sundays. It's a great time. Thanks for listening.